Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, welcome back to another show on Your Story with Melinda. So glad you're with us, whether you're listening or watching online. And I've got a great show for you today. I have Stacy Campbell with me here in the studio. She is the executive director and CEO of Prison Fellowship Canada. And this is actually the first time I've really talked with somebody who's involved in the prison system. And we're going to learn a lot together. I have a lot of questions for her. She has a fascinating story of how she got involved. And so please welcome. And I know as you're watching, you can welcome with me Stacey Campbell to the show. Thank you, Melinda. Welcome. And it's so neat because this is really kind of the first time we've really met in person. Mm -hmm. So we're actually going to get to know each other really well. Stacey, let's start off because for a lot of people, they wouldn't say prison, working in the prison system is something that when you're young, you're going... Yep, that's what I want to do. That's right. You know, when you're, you know, in grade school and you're like, so what would you like to do? And you're like, ballerina, fireman, doctor. Those are good things, but I don't think anybody's ever said working in the prison system. Right. So let's start from the beginning, you know, as a child, you know, your sort of story about following Jesus and then how you got to where you are today. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I grew up in a very uh, small town Mm -hmm. in uh, southern Ontario, just just south of uh, London, Ontario, in Elmer. And uh, you're right, those were not the things that I aspired to be at, <laughs> yeah. uh, at that time. And uh, moved into Mississauga, and then at the age of 15, uh, was introduced to a Christian businessman uh, who I worked, uh, worked for, uh, doing secretarial work after school, mm-hmm. summers, March break, that type of thing. And he was giving space at that time to a new ministry that had just started up in Canada, which was prison fellowship. So that's 35 years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what was it about him or, I mean, at that point at 15, were you like, oh, prison fellowship, that's interesting? Or what was it that kind of was this catalyst to kind of start going that direction? Not at all. Very interested. Ian Stanley was then the director and had the position I have now um, and really was one of my first spiritual mentors. And when I would come into the office and um, at the end of the day and I might say, oh, you know, some guy in grade 12 is going to pay me 50 bucks to write his essay. Ian would sit me down and say, (laughs) here's why you're not going to write the essay and here's why you're not getting the 50 bucks and really formed a lot of my first um, spiritual thinking. I didn't come from a Christian home. Okay. And so my relationship with him was strictly just talking about the things that were in my life. We never talked about prison fellowship. Mm-hmm. We never talked about prison ministry. So then fast forward a number of years, and um, I had been in business for 25 years, owned my own direct marketing uh, company, and knew that, or certainly felt that the Lord was um, calling me into vocational ministry. So mm-hmm. went back to school did my Master's of Divinity at Tyndale, and prison ministry was tugging at my heart the whole time. And I was refusing it. I wanted it. I wanted it. No, no, you've got that wrong. 
go fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's find something else. And so it actually took me six years to be obedient and to put in my application. And, and, uh, and Prison Fellowship was the organization that I naturally thought of because of the connection I'd had years and years earlier. So what was, I mean, I think that's great. You essentially were mentored by, you know, an mm-hmm. older person mm-hmm. in your faith and understanding of that. Talk to me about that because that's really key as I'm getting older mm-hmm. and this responsibility I feel about mentoring the next generation mm-hmm. or there are times where young people are saying we're lacking mm-hmm. older people to really speak into my life. Mm-hmm. It talks about how important that is. You know, mm-hmm. what would be your encouragement in that area? Well, it's a biblical call on both sides. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the major blocks to that is for people who would be the mentors Oh, what do I know? I don't have it figured out. And so we have this false humility that says, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. But that's not what God says. It's the mistakes that make you valuable. (laughs) That's good. um, And then the onus on younger people to seek that out, that if we only hear our own conversations and what we already know, then that's the limit. What we know is the limit. Mm -hmm. We want people who are wise in in our lives, that can speak into our lives, who have been there, done that, or are just going to offer a different perspective. Yeah. So you don't come from a Christian home. I don't. He mentors you. Mm-hmm. And what was sort of that moment where you're like, yeah, I, th- I think I want to follow Jesus. Like, I think I'm ready to say, okay, I'm going to commit my life to him. It was actually through friends okay. um, and, and a youth group uh, that I attended in Mississauga. And very quickly into the youth group, you know, there's certainly a lot of people who want to see you go that way. And I didn't feel persuaded or pushed, but the gospel was presented and, and I wanted to answer. And so, and that was that just before I got to uh, uh, Lucas Freeman was actually the name of the organization that I worked for, but where Prison Fellowship also was. Wow. Yeah. It seems, Stacey, that God was sort of pursuing yes. you your whole life. Like yeah. there was a sense of, you know, he had put you in these spaces and physical places to meet, you know, your mentor. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's neat. It's like mm-hmm. he's been pursuing you. And then you're saying... For six years, you know, you're getting a sense. Now, talk to me about that, because I would say for many of us, there are things like that that happen, Mm -hmm. and we ignore it. We're like, no, 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 that would be uncomfortable. That's too much of a sacrifice. That's too, you know, that seems to weigh out. Yes. Talk to me about that, because meaning, like, were you hearing it? Was it in your heart? Like, what was it? And, And you're ignoring it. Like, is that normal? I mean, or were you always battling that kind of sense that you should go into prison work? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm a very determined person. (laughs) (laughs) So God has to continue to pursue people like us. Yeah. But um, that's a great question because when you say to somebody, well, I felt called to it or it was a calling. Well, what does that even really mean? And for me, what that was, when I was at church and I would hear a sermon or I would uh, lead a Bible study or something, I'd think, gosh, I'd really like to take this to women in prison. And then you'd kind of go, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, let's that's let, random. Let's let it go away. <laughs> right. And then, you know, at that time I was in school and uh, working on my master's and, and you would do different seminars or you would do a counseling course or something And that just kept coming back to me over and over that I wonder what this would be like. I wonder if this would be redemptive. I wonder if there's an opportunity for this. And it was like, get rid of that. And and I really, really didn't want it. um, Not at at all. all. Not at all. Not at all. It's funny, eh? Because some of the mm-hmm. things that you you believe so much, like this is not what I want. It's this. It's the same thing. God is saying, no, that's what I want yes. from you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we fast forward. What is the catalyst? What's happened happening in your life 
when you finally say, okay, God, I, I got to stop running. I got to be obedient to this. What was going on? But you finally like, okay, I honestly, I give up and I kind of submit to what you want. Mm-hmm. What was happening in your life? Well, my life largely fell apart, got to the point and, and, and really almost from the moment I stepped into seminary, things started to fall apart. And, mm-hmm. and I knew that someone didn't want me there. <laughs> really, eh? And so in my business, we entered into difficulties with my kids who are now uh, 14 and 17. Um, at that time, lots and lots of difficulties entered in, uh, difficulties in our marriage. Entered. I mean, it was, there was no stone unturned. My health, I had a, a seven-inch tumor removed from my back. There was no wow. stone unturned. And I finally said, uncle. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, tap, tap out. I get yeah, yeah. So even up to the day that I entered the prison for the first time, it was, I don't want to do this, but I will do this because you're asking me. I know you're asking me to do this, but I don't want to be here. So still so, defiant. Yeah. Still not, not wanting, def- not defiant? What? Not defiant. Definitely had the edge knocked right off me at that right. point. <laughs> but what, it, what was but just, it? This is not my will. Not my will. There. This yeah. is your will. So I'll do it. But it's not what I desire. Now, all these things have knocked you out. Yeah. Like, were you seeing those as signs? Or were you just like, okay, God, really? Like, what? I mean, because for some people, when you're going through those tough times, it's like it knocks you out and you don't want to do anything. And then you get mad at God. And then you, you can literally just sort of be in a standstill, mm-hmm. get into the fetal position and go, I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel just done. What was it? Because I've been through some hard times like that. And what was it that helped you kind of get through? I was really blessed um, at that time. My pastor said to me, the size of your difficulty is going to be equal to the size of your ministry. Wow. And, in, and in a way, it gave me hope that here I was in this dark valley, in this dark place, but there was meaning to it. And there's this great scripture in Psalm 84 that talks about the Valley of Baca. And every great leader has to go through the Valley of Baca, which literally means in Hebrew, the Valley of Tears. But if you continue on the pilgrimage, it ends in the presence of God. And so it was that there's meaning in it. I don't know it. I don't see it. But there's meaning in it. And having people in my life that were the markers when Mm -hmm. I was in the forest, and they were the markers back to me to say, this is what's going on. And I believed them. That's good. You know, I agree with you. I think being within community is a thing. And I've said this over and over on my show that really helped get me through, you know, mm-hmm. family, yeah. friends, mm-hmm. you know, my church community really. And I, that's why I believe it when they say, you know, you're part of this body of Christ and it can be all over the world and you're part of this thing. Mm-hmm. It's because I really don't think I could have physically, emotionally, spiritually made it through and, and be where I am today without them. That's, that's community. Right. And people speaking life over me. Yes. That's like right. believing for me when I didn't believe for myself. That's right. Like, you're going to get up. No, I'm not. Yes. In scripture, it says you're going to stand and you're going to stand again. I can't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, then we're going to physically lift you up. Well, I don't want to. Well, we're going to do it. Like it was like that. Yes. And finally you're like, okay, I think I can do it. I can get up. Yeah. So you are now in, you've said, okay, God, I submit. Yep. And it's tough and it's hard and and the community helped you get through. Mm -hmm. And now you're put your application in for prison fellowship kids. Yes, yeah, to volunteer. Yes. To just to volunteer. Yes. So you're volunteering, and what was that like? Because, I mean, for a lot of us, we have, we see orange is the new black. Yes. We see those <laughs> crazy things on Bravo and, you know, on TV about prison, mm-hmm. and you're like, out of sight, out of mind, that's how I want to respond. Mm-hmm. I just want to have it, like, bad 
honestly, bad people are away right. and away from society so they, they can't hurt us. Right. I would say maybe the majority of the sentiment, even within, for me and, and maybe even with my community. But you have a, obviously a different perspective and, and thinking. So when you started volunteering, what was that like? So the first there? day, I can still so vividly recall um, the first day and, and going in. And to be honest, I was afraid. I was fairly fearful. I had been oriented and knew the safety drill and, and that type of thing. But honestly, the minute I sat down with the first group of women that I ministered to, I came out that day and said, God, I want to do this for the rest of my life. This, really? what, what happened? Yeah. What was it like? It just wasn't at all what I expected it to be. I literally, you're looking across the room, and, and honestly, I don't like cliches, but for the grace of God, it could have, I could have been looking at myself across the, uh, across the table. And it really wasn't this heinous group of people that had committed all these you know, all these heinous crimes and, and all kinds of violence going on. So, yes, orange is the new black. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say, speak against a yeah. show, but there is there a grain of truth, maybe a quarter of a grain of a truth in that TV series. So the book gives a much better depiction, depiction. of, of what, what reality is like, yes. So you're with these women, you realize yeah. they're actually people. They're and people. It- could have been me. Mm-hmm. So what begins in your heart and mind about this as you as you start volunteering? Because, you know, was it something like, God, I need to be in, in relation with these people. I want to see change. Like, what was happening with you mm-hmm. to go into a system and volunteer your time to, to hang out with these people? Because a lot of people would say, I'm busy. Yes. I don't have the time to do it. And that's hard. Right. I want to volunteer at something kind of easy and good. I think it felt meaningful because transformation is possible. And certainly in the in the beginning times you walk in and and still sometimes today I have the same feelings that wow, I'm so inadequate. I've never been in prison. I've never been through the system. What on earth would I have to offer uh, these women? And and you know, I came from a business background. I'm thinking corner office, not corner cell. <laughs> yeah. And um, right. and so you know, that, that's a bit of a struggle, but what they really need is relationship. What they really need is somebody to speak truth into their lives, somebody who is going to be sit there and be non-judgmental, but to practice what the Bible says about prison. And, you know, God is very clear throughout Scripture that he has a bias towards four groups of people. He has a bias for the, for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant, and for the poor. He has a he has a bias for those four people, and it's very clear in Scripture that he is on their side because he recognizes there's a power balance, and so many of the people in prison really are are there because of poverty. I see crimes on a regular basis that if I were to commit that crime, I would not end up there because I have resources. Interesting. So, talk to me about that because again. The assumptions of a person who doesn't know, mm-hmm, it's course. like most, I would say, if you ask me, I'd say prison, well, that's for, like you said, like heinous behavior, really bad people have done really bad things, like violent acts, and mm-hmm. we need to lock them up. Mm-hmm. What it's sounding like, what you're saying is it's not that in the majority, is that it's right? It's not the majority. So okay. our violent offenders in Canada, 
Um, we read about them in the paper, and those stories um, do happen. And I certainly don't want to belittle that. A great deal of our work at Prison Fellowship is also with victims, and so um, I want to be very careful what I what I say in that area. But our violent offenders in Canada are three to five percent of the prison population. That's it. So that's it. Yeah. See, and yeah. again, whether it's media or whatnot, mm-hmm. I think we assume mm-hmm. we've assumed the general public like. It's like ninety percent, right? Yeah, so, but it's not. So we so we lock them up, throw away the key, and get them out, and keep our families and us safe. Mm-hmm. And so that's fine. And we leave right. them up in these big blocks up somewhere north or mm-hmm. away from us. Right. I think that's the perception. Right. But if not, if it's only three to would you say five three to five, five percent, yeah. then what are the other people doing in there? The, like, major- the majority is drugs and drug related. Okay. Uh, property crimes, that type of offense. Mm-hmm. Wow. Fines. I mean, in, in Canada, 1.8% of our Canadian population is, is Aboriginal, and 30% of our prison is, is Aboriginal. Really? Um, and a lot of that is fines and, you know, interesting uh, interesting stuff you, you never expected to, uh, to see or to, to hear. And frankly, the kind of stuff that can make you angry enough to flip tables. Really, eh? Yeah. So you're volunteering and you're seeing this, and I can see where your eyes would be open to this the, the truth and reality of what's happening in the prison system because mm-hmm. it would be all new to you. Right. So what do you think was the most shocking thing as you're volunteering? Because somehow you mm-hmm. went from volunteer to now CEO and executive mm-hmm. director of Prison Fellowship Canada. That's a big title. Right. But what was the most shocking thing that you learned, you know, in the volunteer time? In the volunteer capacity. Yeah. I think it is shocking to sit in front of somebody who's made headlines and has committed murder. I think those were the things that uh, really stood me on end and and were the most um, were the most shocking. I have two prisons that I that I volunteer in on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, actually. And in one of them, I walk with seven women who have committed murder and are all in prison for a life sentence. I don't know that that was shocking, but that was the most sobering mm-hmm. thing to, um, okay, now God has me here. What do I do with this? And how do I walk with this? And so so that was a journey for sure. I think other than that, the most shocking thing was just how normal they were and how abnormal their circumstances were at one point. Our women across Canada, it's estimated is somewhere between 80 and 95% are sexually abused in childhood. So there was this, you know, I too came into this system thinking, I pay my taxes, I do what I'm supposed to do, you know, I stop at red lights. They're there, they deserve to be there, lock them up and throw away the key. Mm-hmm. But what I uncovered through my experience was it's not the case. Um, that's a very easy answer. And the second thing is, they're coming out, and how do we want them? when they come out. And that was really where I really bit in and committed to prison fellowship, was we could run these programs that offered opportunities of transformation so who you were sending back to the community truly was a different person. That's, okay, so that part, you know, for a lot of us, we probably never think about. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? We yes. think with the one, yes. let's get them locked up and exactly. in a way. Right. But for many of us, we probably don't think of, oh, Actually, what does happen when they That's get right. out? So you either have to change the laws that life is life, right? Or you, which I don't advocate, or you have to be part of the transformation because now, we want our communities safe. Yeah. Now, I think the question is for some people, and again, I think we're thinking of more of the heinous type crimes. Yep. There would be a split. People thinking, well, can they really change? Can there right. be really reform? Mm-hmm. 
what would you say? I mean, again, I think it's like anybody. I mean, I, I'll preface because I think if you look at anybody, mm-hmm. you can look at anybody even outside of prison and be like, well, can you change? Mm-hmm. And I could tell you some people don't want to change mm-hmm. and other people do want to change. So, I mean, people are people. But in a situation like that, what would you say about as far as? Change is hard. Yeah. Uh, change is very hard. Um, and and you're exactly right. I mean, change is hard. You, th- you think of yeah. us as a country and, and, <laughs> yeah. and the diet craze that goes on every January 1st oh, to yeah. January 2nd, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and so change is, change is very hard. And I have to rely on what I'm taught scripturally to say that nobody is beyond the reach of Christ. Mm -hmm. In my flesh, do I meet people and go, this is a waste of time? Um, I probably never say it's a waste of time, but but do I doubt with some people? For sure I do. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. So in your work, you talked a lot, you've you've mentioned, you know, reconciliation and Mm -hmm. transformation. These are big words, especially within the prison system. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's, you know, sort of, for prison fellowship, that's that's key and big. Yeah. Talk to me about that because I want to understand. I I want to be a person who is thoughtful, responsible, responds to you know the needs of people. Mm-hmm. And I think why I love having you on is it's it, this is a topic that I've never really been informed about. It's been something in me of like there's been a, a strong interest and I I want to learn. Mm-hmm. So when I look at you know the work you do at Prison Fellowship Canada. And you talk about things like reconciliation and transformation. Those are my words. Like I'm like, yes, because I when I go and speak, those are what I say to women across Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you encounter Jesus, there is a a choice of transformation and, and God does something amazing in you. So how does that work within the work you're doing and in the prison? What, what how should we respond and look at the prison system in a different way? Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm asking. I think it's looking at the holistic picture and okay. and it's being brave enough to peel back the the layers of the onion to say how did this person get here right. and when you're a victim that's a really hard, um, you know, we wouldn't expect a victim, uh, we would want to always give primacy to a victim's story first. But as a society we need to take a look and, and society is a victim, right, as well. Mm. But you have to peel back the layers and say what happened here? How did this, at one point when I'm dealing with, a, with an inmate who's a, a male, you know, I often sit there and think, his mom rocked him just like I rock my little boy when he was a baby. Yeah. What happened between then and here? And, and it's not our job to, um, to fix all of that, but to have a social conscience and a compassion toward that. I think it's necessary to be part of part of the solution. So, so our work involves what we call four different stakeholders. We work with offenders. We work with ex-offenders. We work with their, uh, the children and families um, of inmates. We run programs twice a year at Christmas and at mm. um, camp. Right now, we're in yeah. the middle of our Angel Tree uh, camping, which is a wonderful program that sends children to camp who they otherwise would not get that no, op- opportunity to go to a Christian camp. And so, and then we work with victims in, in victim offender reconciliation. So, you know, when I, when I speak at church groups and I speak at many church groups, you know, I, I'm always cautious to say the whole church doesn't need to be involved in prison ministry, mm-hmm. but neither should there be nobody um, in the church that is involved. And in one of those areas that I've just described, either going in, participating in Bible study, one-to-one mentoring, um, chapel programs, Pen Pal is another, is another great mm-hmm. program um, that we offer. One of those um, areas, 
or a circle of three or four. I mean, that takes a lot of courage to do that, but a circle of three or four who circle around an ex-offender once they come out um, and just every week, okay, keep the accountability, keep the relationship. We can drop the recidivism rate from 80% down to 10%. Wow. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Um, does it take courage? It does, but it takes courage to do a lot of things that Jesus calls us to do. Yes, it does. <laughs> so we have a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. I guess I just want to give you the last word in, as we look at the prison system, how should we, as followers of Jesus, look at look at these people, look at the system, and then what can we do to help? <clears throat> so my preference is always that we look at we look at things with a with a, a view to biblical justice, and and biblical justice always balances power distribution, um, the, these types of morality, these types of things. So. You know, it's something you need to pray about. And is God calling you into this? And if he is, absolutely give us a call and, and, and volunteer. And, and there's a lot of different areas where, uh, where, we can use, uh, where we can use help. And when you read the paper and you read different stories or you hear um, those comments that get, get made... Um, read more. <laughs> Keep reading. And not more of the same stories. But read for the bigger picture. Read for the read for the whole story and and ask where where is God where's God calling me to enter into this? So um, I like that. I think at the very end, I think for me as I, I thank you, Stacey, I mean learning from you. I think it, it, it opens your mind up to say, you know, we're all people, you're right. I think, you know, every person in prison was rocked by a, a mama. Mm-hmm. And and loved in 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 some way, mm-hmm. and we need to have those eyes to see as Jesus that each person is, is a value, mm-hmm. and and we're praying that I mean for all of us that there is transformation when they meet Jesus, and I think that's the good work of prison fellowship is that you're actually bringing relationship and Jesus to them, you know, in either biblical principles or just even in your presence of being there. Mm-hmm. In that's what we're supposed to do right. is be the light and presence of Jesus wherever we go. Yeah. And doing it in an educated way, way where you're responding to the criminogenic factors. There are six criminogenic factors that, that typically lead a person into prison. And so how do you respond to those factors biblically and yeah. subvert the message, you're the scum of the earth, with you're the apple of his eye? Oh, how do we live up to that? Beautiful way to end the show. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. And again, just quickly, your website for people to contact? Prisonfellowship.ca. .ca. Mm-hmm. All right. So make sure that you um, you can connect with Stacy. You can find out more information about Prison Fellowship. Please do. And again, too, for listeners and watchers, let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters and for people in prison. Mm-hmm. Thanks for watching. Thanks, Thank Stacy, so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of faithstrongtoday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.